Ulterior. So I thought a bit about how I want to start off the episode this week because there was no regular episode last week, which I do apologize for, but I don't really feel like expressing and verbalizing the reasons why I took a break last week. Um, there's just a, a lot going on, a lot that's not really um, necessary for me to convey on a show that is dedicated to music, you know. I want to be open and honest with you guys, but not to a detrimental extent. And I feel like talking about what is happening right now would go over those boundaries. So, so all that I'm willing to say right now is that last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, it made the two year mark since I first started doing uh, this podcast. And the biggest reason why I've even been able to get to this point is because you guys, because people actually do fuck with what I'm doing. And that really means a lot to me. That means a lot to the vision. That means a lot to the dream. And, I cannot thank you guys enough for that. And I would love to get this show on a consistent note again, so I'm really going to try doing that right now. Uh, this week, I'm going to look at brand new singles from likes of Meet Me at the Altar, Serration, Unwell, and A Few Others I Want to Get Through, and then brand new records by Gorillaz, Awake at Last, Real Friends, and To the Grave. So yeah, thank you guys so much, thank you for tapping in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Also, real quick, Ash from Sumerian Records. Fuck you, pussy. I think we're on like week three now of the discourse on Twitter related to merch cuts and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, the whole discussion has always kind of just led back to one point. Just fucking pay the bands. Give these bands a break because it is not easy touring. It is not easy trying to make a living off of your passion. And a lot of these bands get fucked over royally. The biggest instance of that that was made apparent this week was uh, from Andy Sizik. He is the vocalist of Monuments, uh, Macari, uh, Termina. I think a few other projects I'm, um, aren't coming to mind right now. Um, so he had a show in Milan, Italy. And the venue that he was playing there took 47% of merch proceedings. A 47% merch cut for a venue is legalized thievery. That is fucking absurd. No venue should be doing that. No one should be standing for any of that shit. I, I don't know what the solution is because I, I'm not well versed in business endeavors and business handlings when it comes to that side of the industry, but there has to be a way that venues can receive whatever earnings they believe they are entitled to without taking legitimately almost half of the merch cuts for a show. They would have been better off just not selling merch. They lost money by selling merch. That is not okay whatsoever. And again, I don't know what needs to be done, but something really, really does need to be done. And if I keep talking about the merch cut stuff, it'll just make me more upset. So I'm going to move on to the singles for the week. The number one ranked song for Zinda Look comes from Meet Me at the Altar, and it is called Cool. Cool. 
This is off of the album Past, Present, Future, which is releasing March 10th, so about a week from when this episode is being released. Um, Meet Me at the Altar, I feel like they are the exact kind of band that needs to be at the forefront of the scene right now, and they have plenty of um, like prowess within their identities already for a band that is still so young. Um, you guys have likely heard the other single from this album so far, Say It To My Face, which has been in a Taco Bell commercial, and the the moments where like I'll just be doing nothing at home, and then I just hear that song on TV, and it's like, man, Meet Me At The Altar, they really did that. Like, they're really there right now. That's fucking sick. Um, and Cool is also fucking sick, in my opinion. I, I think this track is very, very simplistic in its approach. It kind of has this, um, this riffage to it that reminds me of Brain Stew by Green Day, although infinitely better than that song, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's fun. It's cute. It's cool. I think it's not a song that really pushes any kind of genre limitations, but it takes the modernized style of pop punk and just makes something really fucking awesome out of it. And sometimes that's all you need to do to just be a really, really dope band. And that's what Me at the Altar have been doing. That's what they achieve with Cool. And I think that's what they're going to achieve at large with Past, Present, Future. So Mental Cruelty are back and they have what is, I guess, technically a double single, but it's really just one song. Uh, Zwielich and Symphony of a Dying Star. Sometime last year, uh, Mental Cruelty had to part ways with their vocalist Luca amidst some allegations, and they have since then picked up Lucas, who is making his debut for them as part of Symphony of a Dying Star, and just immediately, the first thing that I noticed about this song, and I feel like so many others did, the similarities between what Mental Cruelty have been doing right now, and then Lorna Shore. I am not going to extend any of my commentary to the point where I'm going to say they ripped off Lorna because I, I feel like they didn't. I, I think they definitely saw what Lorna are doing and kind of use it as maybe like a reference point, but everything happening here, mental cruelty have morphed it in a way that fits themselves. The guitar melodies that happen throughout the song, I, I think are just like so... Um, interesting, and they really do a lot to shape the character of Symphony of a Dying Star. At the midway point of the song, there is a breakdown that, again, has a lot of Lorna Shore tendencies to it, but when a symphonic deathcore band like this can execute a breakdown the way that Mental Cruelty did for Symphony of a Dying Star, I am a merchant for it. Like, genuinely, I love everything about this. I love any band that can pull off this sound, because, like, Blackened Deathcore right now is maybe one of my favorite genres and it takes a lot of effort from a band to fuck up that sound and i think mental cruelty just completely bodied this they are excellent on symphony of a dying star i genuinely cannot wait for more from them with lucas on vocals and they have a lot of potential a lot of promise 
Brand new Serration song featuring Emma Bosa from Dying Wish. It is called A Suicide Note in MIDI format. To me, this was a really big week for heavy music, and a Suicide Note in MIDI format is a very large contribution to that statement. This song is fucking uh, absurd in so many right ways. I think the production on it has this very DIY feel to it that elevates the style of this song in a really, really big manner. Um, everybody in Serration sounds on point here. Emma coming in on the chorus and having this uh, opening to showcase her clean vocals in a way where she normally never does. That really, really played a lot into what made a Suicide Note in mini format so successful, in my opinion. And it made sure that Serration is a band who I don't forget about. I am going to continue to cover them whenever they do something new because they made a case for why they are deserving of and having earned the uh, acclaim and praise from everybody in the scene. Clueless is what I am right now, but then it's also the name of the brand new single by Unwell. I fucking love Unwell. I've been talking about them ever since the New Moons EP back in 2021. And I remember on that EP, Solstice was a song that I was like really, really gassing up. And then fast forward to 2022 and Epiphany was like almost a a song that made the top 100 series for December. I felt like with uh, that single, then that EP, Unwell kind of established themselves as one of the rising forces in pop punk. And Clueless just takes that potential and amplifies it. And I feel like if you're not tapped into Unwell right now, you are missing out on one of the most promising pop punk acts in the entire scene. Clueless is very like down to earth in a lot of its lyricism. It's very reality based. Like I I think with pop punk, you kind of sometimes have that stigma attached here where it's like, you know, my best friends and pizza or whatever the fuck else, even though I feel like that's a dated concept, but some people do still have that mentality. Um, Clueless just takes a lot of the real themes of life and the real troubles and conveys it in a way where it's catchy and the melodies are there and the riffs are there and everything works out in the favor of Clueless and at large in the favor of Unwell. The final single that I'm going to go into detail on for the episode comes from the band Camino and it is called Told You So. This was ranked, I think, 8th for Scenic Overlook. Maybe it should have been higher. Like, the more time that I've been able to spend with Told You So, I think the band Camino are coming into their own in a way that, to me, was apparent af- after the uh, the self-titled record from 2021. I thought that album was really, really impressive. And Told You So might potentially be better than any song from that record, or at least I like it more than any song from that record. Um, It's very, like... 
grounded in scene music. I don't know if anything on the self-titled really was, whereas Told You So, it's kind of a little bit heavy instrumentation. It's kind of a little bit um, attitude-based. It has like that bounce to it. And just so much about this song, I think, spells a lot of uh, good fortune in the future for the band Camino if they can keep up this energy because this energy is going to be so beneficial for them. Told you so is catchy as fuck. It has that kind of this infectious hook that just cannot leave your brain. Everything about this song is perfect in my opinion. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Day by Day by A Foreign Affair featuring Aaron Gillespie from Underworld. Parasite by Archetypes Collide. The Credits by Arrows in Action featuring Loveless and Magnolia Park, Flipside by As Everything Unfolds, Never Enough by Aviva, Are You Ready by Bad Love, Freak by Beauty School Dropout featuring Jaden, Flatline by Blind Channel, Dead Rabbit by Body Snatcher, Over by Churches, Maze by Classic Jack, Running from the Daylight by Concrete Castles, Divinities by Defamed, Bias by Defocus, I've Got a Bad Feeling About This by First and Forever, Faded by Happy Days, Slowly Healing by Huddy, Miles of Emotion by Our Hollow Our Home, who might be down to one member now that I think about it, Befowler by Of Sulphur featuring Alex Terrible from Slaughter Prevail, Lake Valley by Patient 67, Karma by Penny Board, Firebrand by Perspectives NY, Hopeless by Picturesque, Not Worth Saving by Skylar Accord, Love Song by Soft Cult, POS by Swaco, Unwanted Again by The Ongoing Concept, Play My Favorite Song by Tiger Cub, Dying If You Haven't Noticed by Titus, Sever by Virtual Veins, Two-Face by Waste, All Caps by Weathers featuring John the Ghost, Life's Still Great by Young Pinch, and Bloodbath by Rose Colored World. There was one song that I gave a 3 to, and that was Reckoning by August Burns Red featuring Spencer Chamberlain from Underworld. Look, it's August Burns Red. Like, I- I've said this before, and I'm going to have to say it again once I review the album, whenever that drops. I don't have a great connection to their music. They have like three or four songs in total that I really, really, really fuck with. And then everything else is just kind of either, to me, decent metalcore or not very enjoyable. And I'm not going into this record of theirs with an agenda to slander them. It's just their brand of metalcore became very tired and formulaic for me a long time ago. And having gone through all the singles now, I'm going to get into the records. There were four for me to cover this week. And I'm going to start off with the one that is maybe like somewhat ventured outside of the scene and that is Cracker Island by Gorillaz. I don't know how seen gorillas are or how seen anybody would identify them as, but I think they are adjacent enough in the sense that a lot of people in the scene today, fans and musicians alike, can point to gorillas and say that they have some form of connection to them because for a lot of us who have grown up since the late 90s and early 2000s within this kind of music, gorillas were inescapable in a way. You knew about the Little Weird cartoon band. You knew about Feel Good Inc. because it's a certified hood classic. In some way, shape, or form, you have exposure to gorillas. Now, whether you fucked with them or not is a separate story because I know that for myself personally, they are very, very hit or miss. I, I don't think that 
the large chunk of their discography has placed them anywhere near the upper echelon of bands that I've listened to in my lifetime, but in the moments where they're hooping, they are fucking hooping, for real, for real. Um, they had a record back in 2017 called Humans, and there's a song on there, uh, Ascension, featuring Vince Staples, that I think remains the coolest thing they've ever done, and also my personal favorite hook of all time in the song, The Sky's Falling Baby, Drop That Ass for It Crash. The genuine stranglehold that song had on me is just indescribable, and in some ways, not totally the same, but just some ways. Last year's single, Cracker Island, the title track for the record, almost achieved the same feat. I think I had Cracker Island at like number 40 in the Top 100 Song Series, and my affinity for that track has somehow only grown from that point on. I think Cracker Island, the title track, is one of the catchiest songs I've heard in the last, you know, three, four, five years. It really has that infectious energy and nature that I have always been able to hear within Gorillas, but maybe it's not always realized in the delivery of whatever they're doing. But on the title track for Cracker Island, it is absolutely there and it will never ever be able to leave my brain and I don't want it to. The second single thereafter was New Gold featuring Tame Impala and Booty Brown, and that song, it has a different type of catchy energy from the title track, but I, I think it still does an outstanding job at painting and highlighting the strengths of Gorillaz on this record by giving these sonic tones that make every part of your core and your being a prisoner to its rhythm. The next single thereafter was Baby Queen, and Baby Queen to me embodies a theme that ended up being somewhat prevalent throughout certain portions of Cracker Island, which are the moments where things slow down and have this soothing, synthesized feel. Um, I, I do think it works really well for Baby Queen, but then on the two closing songs, Skinny Ape and Possession Island, not really as much. Um, I think they're still good songs for sure, but I can't put them against the other material here on this record and say that they achieved the same level of captivation. Um, but then on like the flip side of that, there's a song called Tarantula that has a similar vibe, but there are these bass elements implemented that give it some extra bounce to really, really make that track stick. Um, two other songs that I want to point out come in the form of Oil and Tormenta because they're both very unique songs that are guest feature driven. Oil features Stevie Nicks, who is known for both Fleetwood Mac and solo fame. Um, there are some later sections of the song where she and 2D are like kind of duetting and I, I think it's one of the highlight moments on all of Cracker Island like it, it is genuinely um like just overall fascinating and the execution was flawless in my opinion uh Tormenta features Bad Bunny which by the way I am fucking elated that I found a way to make Bad Bunny canon to Ulterior because the idea of him having a spot in this like scene area of music is kind of stupidly ridiculous. Um, I, I think this song works so well because rather than it being Gorillaz featuring Bad Bunny, it comes across as being the other way around. Like Bad Bunny is a star of the song and he had free reign to just kind of shape the song and morph it to his own style and it worked out tremendously well in that regard. When I look at Cracker Island as a entire project, I do believe that this is one of the better records that have ever been put out by Gorillaz. I don't think it's perfect. I don't know if the band has ever really achieved perfection in that sense, and I don't think they ever will, with all due respect. But this was still something very enjoyable. I said earlier that Gorillaz are hit or miss most of the time. This is hit. 
Like it really, really is. I think this is a really, really good album. Uh, something just like so easy to get into, so easy to get lost in. Like a lot of what's happening here, it's very catchy, very soothing, very relaxing, and just overall an album that I think if you're a fan of Gorillas, you should be proud of. And then if you're not a fan of Gorillas, normally this is still something for you to sink your teeth into. Let me talk about the brand new album by Awake at Last. It is called The Balance. I actually had first exposure to Awake at Last through this podcast because it was back in the spring of 2021 when I reviewed Armageddon as a brand new single by the band. And I listened back to that song before doing this review because I remember gassing it up pretty heavily. And yeah, it is still an amazing song. And truthfully, I prefer Armageddon over pretty much anything on this record. And I don't mean that to slander the balance. It's more so done for me to praise Armageddon. Um, I, I think as far as this album's rollout goes, Bloodline would have been where the singles treatment started, and I don't remember exactly how I felt about that track at the time of its release last year, but hearing it back as part of the balance, I can definitely say that I really do not fuck with it, and I think it kind of paints the larger image about my overall issues with the balance. Um, Vincent's voice. Reminds me a lot of Craig Mabbitt's in terms of his cadence and tone, which really is fine, but that kind of makes me relate some material on this record to the latter stuff from Escape the Fate, and there's really no inspiration that I can sense in that style of rock music. It's not for me, and it's not the direction I would have liked to have seen Awake at Last embark on following Armageddon. And all of that tangential stuff I just said might come across as harsh or that I don't like this album, when really, I would say that I do to some extent. Um, Bloodline and Sign of Life are, to me, the two biggest instances of myself having to just detach from what is going on, and there are some songs where I feel like the ideas are right there and just maybe needed to be fleshed out a, a little bit more, like on The Course of Loss. Um... I think right there, the melody is great and it has this anthemic feeling to it, but the crowd chant stuff is what throws it off for me. And like on the song Landmines, when the chorus quiets itself for a second so Vincent can just say the word Landmines, it feels like it plays too much into mainstream rock tropes for my liking, and especially because I don't really see why it was done. It feels like it was just there for the sake of being there. There's not really a greater purpose to it. And, you know, otherwise, the song is good. But that was just something that I couldn't really overlook. Um, and then there are some songs where the ideas, I feel like they do come together effectively, like on Living Fiction, which has some weird structural stuff happening in its chorus, and that is able to make it stand out from most of what is happening on the album. Um, Restore My Sight is another highlightable song because it does have this almost generic slow feeling to it. But there is something about the approach that Awake at Last took in it that is able to maintain my interest and I feel like that is an incredible feat because when I think about Restore My Sight and its surface level elements, it shouldn't have worked out, but it does. And maybe at large, every song here on the balance that I think works, it probably shouldn't because again, I'm going back to what I mentioned earlier about mainstream rock tropes and current day Escape the Fate. 
I definitely hear a lot of that in the balance, and sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does. What I will say in this grand sense about the balance is that it's a good album for Awake at Last to build upon. And what I mean by that is I think there are some ideas here that they can take and kind of restructure, fine tune in a way and learn from this and what they're going to be doing in the future they have a blueprint to build off of and i think that makes this a successful record in a way um it's just something where i think awake at last the hooper mentality is there it can really shine through just a, a little bit of work on their end will help them a lot there is a new ep out now by real friends there's nothing worse than too late So the last few years for Real Friends have seen the band undergo a lineup change that did make me question where my stance on them would be because I thought that their material with Dan Lampton on vocals built a lot of goodwill and trust in their endeavors and especially on the album from 2018 called Composure. That shit is dumb good, yo. And then Dan left the band around this time three years ago and throughout the pandemic, there was largely silence from Real Friends until Cody, who was previously in Youth Fountain and Parting Ways, joined the band, and their first outing with him as the frontman was the EP Torn In 2, which I thought was fine, but not really, like, assuring that I would be able to attach myself to their new material the same way that I was with Dan's. And this isn't me uh, trying to compare Dan to Cody, I'm just being truthful with you guys about my feelings towards the switch-up. Because it does matter to my review for There's Nothing Worse Than Too Late. And the reason why it matters is because this EP is fucking tremendous. And pretty much any bit of doubt that I could have had in my mind about Cody is now dissolved because of the quality of what they did here. And the build-up for this has been going on for a minute now since uh, I think Tell Me You're Sorry was released over a year ago at this point. And that song really did do a lot to shape the sound of this EP and the direction that Real Friends would be going in because it's just a sick-ass pop-punk song. And akin to what I mentioned earlier in this episode about Unwell, sometimes all that you need to do to grab my attention is just venture your genre really fucking well. And they did that with Always Lose. They did it with Six Feet, which had uh, that song been released like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, it would have been an emo hood classic. I think that the other songs present here that weren't singles work just as well in expanding the sound present for Real Friends, and by giving them these canvases that they just painted with godly catchy hooks like on The Damage Is Done and Strangers, um, there's also the song I Don't Have To Do That Anymore, which is this beautifully poignant acoustic song that has a ton of emotion packed into every one of its pores. I don't ever want to see your face again, ever hear your name again, I don't have to say we'll be friends. The exact kind of an acoustic song that fits into this emo space and becomes something larger than what I think it intended to. And I feel very much the same about the technical closing song, I'm Not Ready, which is my favorite off of this EP. Take what I just said about the lyricism and the feeling to I Don't Have to Do That Anymore and mix in the catchiness of essentially the rest of the EP and you get this fucking generational song that has a stranglehold on the entire discography of Real Friends, in my opinion. There's Nothing Worse Than Too Late was the exact EP that Real Friends needed, and I don't see 
this as being like a, a step backwards or any kind of like a, a standstill moment for them. If anything, they have a chance to propel themselves further than the way they're at with Dan. And, you know, I really, really love the material with Dan, so that's kind of weird to say. But right now, in this present moment, Cody is doing for them exactly what needed to be done. This EP is tremendous. I think it is one of the strongest pop-punk releases in recent memory. Um, I could have done without the two additional songs because they also had... Tell Me You're Sorry and Always Lose Acoustic on the tail end of the record, which is, is fine. It doesn't harm it in any way. I don't think it makes it any better. They kind of just exist in that sense. But, you know, again, whatever. It's fine. This EP is sensational. I love it. I love Real Friends. And I'm very excited for what they can do. And for the final record of this episode, I'm going to talk about Director's Cuts by To The Grave. I feel like there is unofficially some lore that connects to the grave to Ulterior because the last album from this band was 2021's Epilogue, which was really just an expanded version of 2019's Global Warning. And that was one of the first records that I got onto this podcast to just completely gas up and hail as this perfect release that was a benchmark for Deathcore. Um... In retrospect, I don't know if I would go that far with my vernacular to express my adoration for that album, but I do still believe that it is fucking incredible, and it never once showed its runtime er and duration given how much enjoyment I was able to take from it. I, I think one of the strongest elements for Epilogue is the production on it and how crisp everything sounds, which I understand may be antithetical to the idea of Deathcore, because at the center of the genre probably should be this raw energy. And for better or worse, Director's Cuts does have that flair to it. I don't think everything sounds so squeaky clean and it's rough in certain areas, which is apparent right from the intro song Warning Shot, which takes its time to build up the fucking massive wall of music that hits you once the full band comes in. Something I already knew about, but it would be evident to anybody who may have listened to To The Grave for the first time through this record is the ability on the part of vocalist Dane Evans to embody something of, like, um, demonic caliber, per se, in his screams. And he really does take control of the performance here by being one of the best voices Deathcore has seen in recent memory. Um, the first thing for the album was Red Dot Sight, which I remember reviewing back when it initially released. And I made note about the sort of industrial and almost new metal feeling to the deathcore style of to the grave that may not be totally unique to the genre but it is unique enough to to the grave and they navigate this sound perfectly like there is this huge sound to what i believe to be the chorus of red dot site and it puts to the grave on a pedestal for the genre i really do think that no matter where you turn to on this record you are going to be battered in the face by the ferocity and unapologetic nature to the heaviness present here. Like, this is genuinely some of the most disgusting sounding deathcore I've heard in a minute. And I mean disgusting in a complimentary way, because that's exactly what I want this kind of music to sound like. The screams that I mentioned from Dane are put on full display through songs like Full Sequence and Manhunt, and 
just in my opinion, it's so hard to hear what he and the rest of To the Grave are doing and not feel something. Like, even if you yourself do not fuck with Deathcore for any reason, To the Grave's delivery of this style, it, it has to resonate with your heart and your brain in some manner. Like, I truly, truly do believe that. One of the songs on here, Found Footage, is very interesting because throughout some sections of it, the instrumentation is slowed down and Dane kind of sort of like raps in a whispering and raspy style. And to me, this could have been risky on their end because if this was done poorly, then I think it would have just reminded me of something like King 810 or King 810, however you say their name. It doesn't really matter because they fucking suck. But To The Grave are so goddamn talented at what they do that they manage to take this concept for found footage and make it one of the most meaningful portions of director's cuts. One of my favorite songs on here is Reversing the Bear Trap, which features Jess Harlan from Blood Out. She is a fucking megastar on this song because when her part comes in, she takes her own screams and matches Dane's just like punch for punch, note for note, while there is this double bass spam happening in the background, and it makes for this really, really sick spectacle. The closing song, Die Rise, is something that I, I kind of had to take a minute to be like, okay, how do I feel about this? Because it's about like eight minutes, eight and a half minutes long, something like that. And I've said ad nauseum on this show that I don't really fuck with long songs that much. And this was a kind of song where I looked at the runtime and I was like, the fuck are they cooking? And they fucking cooked. Like, they really, really did. It is enjoyable for the entire duration. It feels like... um like climactic in so many ways it feels like the apropos ending to director's cuts there was so much that happened with die rise that i don't know how it would have looked on paper but in its execution genuinely amazing and i think that sentiment there genuinely amazing can be expanded to all of director's cuts this was an album that i was really really looking forward to because to the grave is the kind of band where they have this ability to take sounds that maybe you can get from other bands, but just the way that they package and present it is so marvelous. And they took director's cuts and delivered something that I'm not going to be able to forget about soon. I've been going back to the record, you know, so many times in the last week, and just each time I, I feel my affinity for it growing and I feel that attachment only getting stronger. And To the Grave is the kind of band who that's that's what I expected of. Like, there's a reason why I've mentioned them time and time again when talking about some of the best deathcore bands in the world, because they have earned the right to be a part of that discussion and to be uh, acclimated in that way. They make it really easy to be a fan of them, and Director's Cuts is something really special. And I hope everybody, whether you're into deathcore or not, has the opportunity to give it a chance because there's definitely something here for you to get into. And that's it. That was every album and single and EP from last week for me to go through. And this was definitely a process. Like, this whole week has been very strange and um, not great for me mentally. But I didn't want to skip out on another week. I owe it to the vision of this show to remain consistent and remain energized and just, you know, be motivated and be inspired and all that shit. And I'm really, really, really going to try my hardest to make sure that I am here 
and present and active as regularly as I can be and let you guys know about what's happening out in this dumbass weird fucking scene. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.